You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision. It's Tuesday, December 15, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by Real Vision's Jack Farley. But first, with the day's stories, Haley Drasnan. Hey, Ash. Markets edged higher Tuesday as Congress gets closer to passing additional stimulus. Right now, it's a $748 billion deal. It's not the price tag originally proposed at $908 billion, but they need something to pass before the holidays. The markets are still digesting vaccine news and getting the continued support from central banks, so we will see stocks rally and corporate bonds extend into 2021. What stood out to me today, some of the worst performing real estate stocks this year are finally having their moment. Real estate, of course, has been beaten down, but stands to benefit from the economy's eventual reopening. Share prices for hotels, retail, and offices jumped more than a third and have held those gains since November 9th, the day when Pfizer and BioNTech announced their promising vaccine results. The FTSC Nari Equity Lodging Resource Index has soared 49% while the regional malls and shopping centers, REIT indexes, are each up more than 40% since the vaccine announcement. Those returns made these real estate investment trusts two of the best-performing sectors. REITs in general have bottomed out, and I don't think we'll see them retest the lows. This could be an opportunity for long-term investors since the earnings recovery may take years. Hotel executives have warned that their businesses may not see a full recovery until at least 2023, even if the pandemic does come under control. And business executives too, like Bill Gates, have suggested that business travel won't bounce back to the way it was, maybe ever. When you look a little closer at some of these companies, they really tumbled from the end of February to the end of October. But you can see here they are bouncing back and it's good to look at them long term. Park hotels and resorts and Xenia hotels and resorts have risen by 62%. Simon Property Group, the country's biggest mall owner, saw its shares rise by more than 41% over the past month. Mall operators are particularly interesting as consumer behavior is shifting more online. Investors do say that some of these companies with stronger balance sheets look oversold, especially ones with valuable real estate that could be converted to other uses such as offices or residencies. Their properties could be repurposed. Back to you, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Hallie. Welcome, Jack. Ash, it's uh, so great to be here. I know we were expecting Dave Floyd uh, to come on. He had some connection issues, so I hopped out of the bullpen um, to fill in. 
Uh, so, you know, because we didn't have a lot of time to prepare, you know, this is not going to be a standard Real Vision daily briefing. We're sort of just going to go through the news flow uh, and, and have a little fun with it. Uh, so, Ash, great to be here. Great to have you, Jack. You dove into the breach at a moment's notice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's Jack, let's hit, the, let's hit the closing numbers here uh, before we get started. Uh, Dow up 1.1% on the day to settle at 3,199. S&P up 1.3% on the day to settle at 3,694. NASDAQ up 1.25% to close at 12,595. Yes, uh, it was a day of uh, you know continued rotation into uh, value. We saw oil was up. We saw uh, real estate was up. Haley did a good job talking about that in the intro. Um, so there's, there's that price action. But to, to be honest, uh, Ash, what I have my eye on is uh, the, the IPO fervor that sprung last week with Airbnb and DoorDash. Everyone knows that that happened. And things got quite hot and heavy very quickly. Um, but we're having a little bit of a fallout uh, after that. Airbnb uh, is still soaring. But DoorDash has, has fallen quite a bit. And actually, um, I was just reading an article about the option in the volatility space. People are buying a lot of put options on DoorDash, expecting that it's going to uh, plunge. And they actually, the, the put-to-call ratio uh, in, in DoorDash is now four to one. Very high. Yeah, that is very high. So that's and what I'm fact, looking that, at. That four to one mirrors the four X rise uh, from its private market valuation to its peak public market valuation. Absolutely. Um, so that that's DoorDash, and then there was another news in the sort of IPO SPAC universe that Blade. Um, actually, you've heard of Blade, right? I have, but for people who don't know about Blade, give us a bit of context on what the company does. Okay, so it's basically like Uber, but fifty times as expensive. And instead of a car, it's a helicopter. Instead of sort of taking you from McDonald's at two a.m. to your house. It's taking you from the lobby of an investment bank to your house in the Hamptons. That's kind of Blade. So it's a very high-end luxury product. Um, they did $33 million in revenue. Um, I, I think that's 2019 or, or it's uh, you know, year over year. Um, they are announced today that they will go public. They plan on going public via a SPAC, special purpose acquisition vehicle, uh, in the first half of 2021. Uh, for a total deal value of eight hundred and fifty million dollars, I believe. So on thirty-three on thirty-three million in gross. Correct. However, any, any net income? Um, let's see. I have their prospectus right now. I'll I'll uh, look on that and get back to you. Their twenty twenty-four EBITDA um, or twenty twenty-four projected revenues, Ash, are looking very good. They're looking uh, at over four hundred million dollars. So it's you, Ash. It's it's a steal. You got you can buy in right now and get. Uh, two times 2024 adjusted EBITDA. Yeah, at only 12x current uh, gross, right? That's like the, that's the multiple. I mean, look, this could be a great company. Uh, this may be a company that we look back on five years from now and think, what a steal. Uh, but doesn't this have all of the classic elements of a 2020 uh, bubblicious story? You've got you've got investment banks, you've got the Hamptons, you've got private helicopters uh, and lofty projections for future uh, for future uh, for future revenue. Yeah, I mean, the only way it could be better was if uh, it was some way uh, they also developed a vaccine. It was on the blockchain, and it was somehow a collateralized loan obligation. But uh, no, seriously, I actually do think it could be a sustainable business in in that um, 
you know, rich people do like getting all around the globe and they do have a growth right. plan. The, the multiple is obviously insane, but that's nothing new that we've seen this year. But yeah, I, I just uh, thought you'd get a kick out of it. Yeah, I mean, it does have that feel, Jack, exactly to your point. It could be a great company. It could be a great business. It just feels a little too soon to tell, doesn't it? $33 million in uh, in gross. Uh, we haven't gotten uh, the earnings tracked down yet. Uh, and the, you know, it's, they're, they're producing, uh, they're producing projections of 12X in 2024. I mean, obviously that's a finite market. I don't know about you, but I'm not, uh, you know, taking a helicopter to the Hamptons. Yeah. Uh, not, not yet. Anyway, I, we got to do a lot more Real Vision Daily briefings before we can do that. <laughs> Indeed. You know, the news flow on the day, uh, Electoral College obviously convening yesterday, Mitch McConnell congratulating president-elect now Joe Biden officially. Uh, that takes a little bit of political risk off the table. Uh, we got some positive news on the Moderna vaccine today, uh, FDA calling it highly effective. Uh, and then, of course, the conversation around this proposed $748 billion in stimulus, also potentially uh, being viewed as uh, as a tailwind by market participants. Yes. Uh, tell me your views on that, Ash, because obviously the the News about the Moderna um, is, is very good news. Uh, you know, great, great day for humanity. Um, tell me about what you think about the, the stimulus deal, because I, I've been reading different things and the news flow today was positive. But w what did you make of it? Yeah, positive news flow. It's a compromise arrangement down from, I think, $903 billion or so, dollars, somewhere in the $900 billion range. Uh, and the contentious issue, uh, I believe, is whether states and local uh, municipalities are going to get additional aid. That's still very contentious. Uh, talking of too soon to tell, uh, here we are in December, ahead of the January 5th uh, special election in Georgia to determine uh, not just who represents the state of Georgia, two Senate seats up, too close uh, because you need uh, you need an absolute majority uh, in that state to win a Senate seat. Uh, and so effectively, the control of the Senate is uh, still very much up in the air. So the whole legislative process, I think right now, it seems like everything has an asterisk after it. Definitely. Um, I, I think there, you know, the experience of the past uh, eight months has been anything is good news. So, you know, the, the doom loop scenario was that Joe Biden would win uh, the president, but that there would be a uh, Republican Senate. Um, you know, that looks like a possibility, um, to, to say the least. But then once once yeah. it looked like that, then um, the narrative shifted to, oh, well, actually, this is good, because you know what markets love? They love divided governments, because divided governments can't pa pass taxes. So I think uh, you know, the narrative is going to stretch its way around the facts, no matter what. Um, I think what really matters is, I and mean, this is something, you know, the Ralph says, is, is economic behavior and then how much uh, the stimulus will actually make people uh, feel comfortable so that they can spend money again, um, both in terms of feeling safe about COVID as well as having a, you know, a safe balance sheet. So, uh, yeah, what, what do you think of that? Well, you know, I, I have the sense to get back to the earlier point uh, about uh, about the state of Georgia that it's just kind of a coin toss at this point. It's just really hard to get accurate polling data. The dynamics of this election are so bizarre. I don't think we really know how it's going to shake out uh, until after it happens. That's not a very satisfying answer. Uh, you know, my feeling about the doom loop scenario. I know that was uh, that was Ed's uh, negative case. I'm actually a little bit more bullish uh, on divided government. I think there's potentially a path forward here. It gives Joe Biden the opportunity, President elect Joe Biden, the opportunity uh, to potentially hew a middle path uh, to sort of fend off uh, the most far left elements of his own party and say, 
guys, I agree with you, but we need to cut a deal here. Uh, so I think there's a possibility that it might be a Goldilocks scenario. But again, we're discussing a hypothetical. We don't really know yet where that race in Georgia is going to come down. Yeah, to be honest, Ash, I haven't been following it as closely as you do, um, but it definitely is really important and market outcomes will hinge uh, on that election. Yeah, exactly. You know, talking of market outcomes and data, uh, one of the things that we continue to look at here at Real Vision uh, is the U.S. currently hospitalized with COVID-19 count. And once again, it's the same story. Every day, every data point comes back higher than the last. This virus is still very much an issue. Uh, sometimes we get lost in the news flow. We joke around about SPACs and, uh, and about uh, private helicopters. We talk about the election. We talk about the news flow related to the political process. But the virus keeps moving forward grimly. This is not an unmasking effect. Uh, that is being created by additional testing. Uh, this is hospitalization rate, which I guess uh, there are those who argue uh, that that number can be can be shifted or ooched a little bit. But the reality is that uh, we are well over 100,000 now hospitalization. You look at the two prior peaks on this, uh, they peaked at around 60,000. This is something that's very much here. Uh, we're having this conversation 10 days uh, before Christmas. Uh, people are going to be traveling. We're still getting a little bit of the tailwind effect from Thanksgiving on this. And there should be concern, I think, among all of us for the economy and at a human level about potentially what is going to happen in the new year. Definitely. Um, Ash, I've got a question. What do you think, how do you think that these various outcomes will map onto the market? Because the hallmark of this year, as you know, has been um, economic regression uh, due to COVID, either because of an outright lockdown or because people just taking less risk, so a, you know, a massive economic contraction, yeah. yet stocks have continued to soar. Do you think there's a possibility that uh, the we have a true you know, sort of nightmare double dip recession? And I don't mean just a double dip, I mean a very deep one. Um, but yet the Apples and Amazons and Googles and Netflixes of the, of the world um, soar even higher? Well, you know, this is a great question. Let's talk a little bit about the meta model here that, that I'm thinking about, that I've had a few conversations with Ed about uh, over the last several months. Look, you know, we have a few things. First, we have the course of the disease itself. This is the thing that we were just discussing, obviously, with the hospitalization rate. There are other proxies for this. You could look at additional infections. You could look at the uh, number of people who have unfortunately passed away from this disease. But there's the course of the disease itself. And then what you were just alluding to, I think, is a really important point, which is the lockdowns or the self-lockdown effects. This is something that Ed and I have discussed, that even in countries uh, where there is not the political will to lock, uh, to lock the country down, when the disease rate begins to rise, uh, when people start dying, frankly, uh, people lock themselves down. So economic activity uh, begins to recede in that scenario as the virus picks up. That's the second part to this. What's happening with the real economy? Uh, Ed Harrison and I are talking about doing a deep dive, hopefully next week, uh, on the question of employment. When you look at the charts, the long-term charts uh, of unemployment, and you compare them to other significant recessions where we had serious erosion of jobs, serious job loss. This is in a league all its own. So that's the second component, thinking about uh, thinking about how this impacts the real economy, whether it's from lockdowns or self-lockdowns. And then finally, you have the, the market pricing mechanism, the discounting uh, factor. It appears that markets are looking ahead. Uh, again, we have positive news on the Pfizer vaccine. Today, it's Moderna with positive news from FDA, this highly effective designation. So you have this discounting factor where markets are theoretically uh, looking ahead at future cash flows and trying to price that. It's a lot of complicated uh, sort of information to digest. 
But the, the risk here is, and this is something that we were alluding to earlier, is that this process, uh, the pricing mechanism process, particularly in U.S. equity markets, comes unmoored from the fundamentals. That the pricing mechanism is not really looking at what's happening on the ground. You get this mismatch. Then we have all this talk about the rotation, uh, whether it's growth to value or value back to growth. But the fundamental economy, I think, is really what's going to determine the long-term outlook uh, of the market, uh, U.S. equity markets, particularly in 2021. Absolutely. Um, Ash, on your point about what happens when valuations get unmoored from fundamentals, um, to me, uh, that unmooring is not happening so much in the FANG names. We've seen a massive price appreciation. Um, their business models are just so dominate, dominant. Uh, their, their balance sheets are just so strong. And their forward future prospects um, are have not been dimmed by this pandemic, and they, they've in fact been brightened. What I'm not a believer in is the snowflakes of the world and the Airbnbs and these new unformed com companies. Uh, perhaps that's a little dramatic. Airbnb, perhaps not. Um, companies that are coming to market um, who don't have a, a validated business model or their business model is validated and is profitable, but it is just trading at such an obscene um, enterprise value to sales model that it makes the dot com crisis uh, dot com bubble um you know look, look look like normal so to me i've yeah. got my eyes on these ipo uh names uh but just you know because ed and i were talking about insolvency the other day and i actually happen to uh agree with with ed um but there there were a few countervailing uh points that i spotted when i was reading uh the report from the g30 as well as another report from the uh uh um, bank of international settlements, which is uh, that balance sheets are getting stronger because the amount of debt that has been issued um, is on these companies' balance sheets, and they have a tremendous amount of cash. So in fact, their risk of insolvency uh, is, in, is in many ways lower than it was during the pandemic for some companies. And if you look at the maturity of that debt, it's, uh, you know, many of it, much of it is over five years. Um, also, a lot less stock buy stock buybacks and stock dividends. People, uh, you know, companies are finally being responsible um, with their capital because they have to because they're, you know, it's life or death. Um, and so, so what do you make of that? So that sort of that countervailing narrative. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, you know, there's a lot there. Uh, obviously, I think that there's the potential as someone who was actually uh, working on Wall Street in 1999. Uh, I remember this, uh, the pets.com mentality very well. Look, we joke about it. Uh, we joked about Blade a little bit earlier, but there's really no telling uh, what the future will bring for this company. It might be a great company. Uh, the DoorDashes of the world, Snowflake, obviously virtualization, a hugely hot topic right now. It's just untested. And I think that's really the point. And when you see these tremendous leaps from private market valuations, look, we believe, uh, and if you listen to discussions, that the Silicon Valley VCs uh, are the smartest folks in the room, uh, and yet somehow public markets are saying, oh, no, no, the company that you valued at X is now worth 4X. This is something 
that we uh, that we saw with Airbnb. We saw it with DoorDash. So it's very much an open question where the long-term value proposition uh, is going to come from for these companies and whether they're going to be able to endure uh, at those lofty levels. We're going to have to see. To bring the conversation back to something you said about the large cap tech stocks and to tie it back into news flow, something that caught my eye this morning uh, is this FTC letter ordering nine of the largest tech companies to disclose their practices on data collection. So FTC is effectively collecting data from the largest tech companies in the world and ordering them to turn over their practices on how they are gathering user data, what they're doing with that user data, what their intent is. This is going to be very interesting. If you layer that on to the non-competition, non-competitive issue that we were talking about, effectively uh, violating potentially, uh, investigating the potential violation of the Sherman uh, Antitrust Act. This is something that it is a, a questionable time uh, for these companies. Now, look, uh, obviously the stocks have been on enormous runs for a very long period of time. I was talking about this with Ed, uh, that the uh, XLK, uh, the technology select sector spider, had outpaced the NASDAQ for many years. But if you look at a one-year chart, uh, they basically trade in exactly the same range because the market cap of these large tech uh, large cap tech companies have swelled so greatly that they make up such an enormous uh, amount of that market capitalization. Bottom line, they've obviously performed extremely well, but you do have to see uh, this potential litigation, potential regulation as a significant headwind uh, that may be at play. Uh, do the companies get broken up? Far too soon to make that call yet. We remember this from back in 1999 uh, with Microsoft. The company uh, was supposed to be broken up at the last moment. It wasn't because I believe a comment uh, that uh, the judge had made about the case, it was that close to getting broken up. Whether these companies are going to be broken up, I, I just don't know. I don't think anyone really knows. But it is really interesting to see the dynamics in this space changing. When the news flow begins to suggest uh, that there is a change a foot from a regulatory uh, perspective. Uh, again, and I talked about this with Ed, this is one of the few things that Democrats and Republicans seem to agree upon. Now, granted, for very different reasons uh, from the Republicans uh, and the right in general, you hear more free speech arguments, uh, deplatforming arguments uh, from Democrats. Uh, you hear more questions about uh, non-competitive practices, uh, data, uh, and you hear conversations about too significant uh, a role uh, in terms of market power. So it's really going to be interesting. It's something that I'm going to be watching, and I hope we can talk more about here on the Real Vision Daily Briefing and elsewhere on the platform. Definitely, Ash. I think that there are some compelling cases about why these companies should be broken up. Um, in, the, in, the, in the world of uh, you know, reality and in terms of like what, what's coming in terms of uh, Congress, I just don't see that it will happen soon. I, I think that uh, it definitely... Well, the pressure will continue to mount, but um, with divided government, I, I just I think it's unlikely. And I think like you know uh, what was uh, the uh, uh, Standard Oil Company was broken up in 1907. I think you know it was you didn't want to own it in 1906, but did you want to own it in 18, in 1899? Perhaps that, that that's my take at least. Yeah, and also to get back to the Standard Oil uh, metaphor, uh, you know the potential is that you could liberate tremendous value in these companies potentially by breaking up these verticals that really are not synergistic uh, and in fact create these large, potentially like difficult to steer behemoth companies where innovation has stifled. If you think about uh, the last decade, I think I said uh, on the last show that I did with Ed on this topic that it's been nine years uh, since uh, a new social network formed and that was Snapchat in 2011. Uh, so 
again, not just too soon to tell, but really uh, too soon to understand what really the implications are and what the ideal will be. It's going to be a space that we're definitely going to keep a close eye on. Jack, once again, thanks for joining us on incredibly short notice. Uh, we really appreciate it. Any final thoughts? Sure. Well, Ash, I did an interview today with uh, Steve Clapham, and he talked about uh, these IPO mania that, we're, that we've been talking about today. And he really pulled no punches, and he's a forensic accountant. So I'm uh, very excited about that. Yeah, I always enjoy interviews with Steve Clapham. I interviewed him a few months ago. He has a way of actually bringing these issues back to the real core, uh, which is revenue earnings, the core things that we learned about in our college accounting classes, uh, and to try and re-moor, if that's a word, uh, back to reality, some of these valuations that we see in the public markets. Absolutely. Uh, and Ash, if, if I may, um, tomorrow we've got an interview with a, a investor who invests in Japan. And when Warren Buffett wanted to invest in Japan, he called this guy. His name is Andrew McDermott. That comes out on Wednesday. And then on Friday, uh, an interview uh, airs with Kirill Sokolov and Sam Zell. Kirill Sokolov and Sam Zell. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited about it as well. Uh, Ash, I just want to say thanks so much for uh, having me on the, the daily briefing. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for appealing for short notice, Jack. Always. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.